Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbley, and this is being recorded live on Skype, August 15th, 2020. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. Well, we are doing a Saturday morning show, and we have on Mike Kennefek. The need is clearly great, Mike, to get onto Model Rail Radio this morning. I think, did we talk about two months ago? I think maybe when this lockdown uh, started, something like that. Yes, I think we did, yes. So how has the lockdown gone for you? What have you been up to? Have you been able to do more work on your layout? We've not personally been too badly affected, I guess, because um, uh, having retired, I'm not um, a fewer complications in uh, having to get to work or working from home or, or whatever. But uh, so uh, we've been, you know, some of the more fortunate ones, I think, uh, during this period. Um, um Yes, a bit more on the layouts, structural stuff, really, I guess. Um, I was, uh, I think when we spoke, I was um, looking at um, raising the layout sort of above head height to, um, uh, in order to fit it into the, the, the new room that uh, I now have, having moved house. Um, um, I've managed to do that, I guess, <laughs> so the, the framework and track, um, and mo- well, most of the track work is is now um, uh, above head height um, and seems to be fairly easily, well, fairly comfortably, should I say, accessible um, just using a, a small uh, step ladder. So that would avoid me sort of uh, cutting into um, any of the original uh, structure, I suppose, and, and, and revamping everything. But um, it's sort of stalled a little bit now because I've realised that uh, – it was getting more and more difficult in the room to um, to to get to painting the walls and the ceiling, which really needed to be done. So this is all the wrong way around, of course. Um, uh, but there really wasn't anywhere to put the the layout um, temporarily, so that I had a clear room. So I've been working around it really, and um, and through it um, with it being just a framework. I think that was. Um, I've just just started to do that in time, I think, before I filled in too much and um, uh, and uh, and limited the uh, accessibility uh, somewhat. So um, there's a lot of dust and bits of plaster and things around at the moment, which are not from the layout, but from the um, ceiling and the walls. So um, it's been uh, dormant for uh, for a little while now, um, while uh, while all that messy process goes on. And the plan is to have, I mean, the layout is already mountainous, right? So the plan is to have mountains to the ceiling. Is that the idea? Well, yeah, it, it did have, um, yes, it did have some um, rudimentary scenery on it before, but that, that um, really had to be destroyed in, in the move, I suppose. It was the easiest thing to do. Now, I guess, uh, yes, it, it could, it's replacement um uh, scenery could quite easily go to the ceiling because there's only really a couple of feet i suppose between the layout and the ceiling so it, it would um it, in a way i think it it might be quite useful because I, I had for a long time been um looking at some of the sort of um what a sort of shadow box type presentations or at least a sort of valance you know f- forming a framework if you like around the uh uh, around the view so um it would be quite a lot easier to do that now because the ceiling forms a natural um ceiling <laughs> and um i would really just need to put some 
well, fairly shallow partition uh, or backdrops, if you like, between uh, the layout and, and it. So um, I'm just interested to see how that um, how that will work will work out. And in terms of the layout, I mean, just visually for folks trying to imagine what this layout looks like currently, is there shelving or other things around the wall which the layout is then based on that then it reads up to the ceiling? I'm just trying to visually understand what this thing looks like currently. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really just an 11 foot by 8 approximately um, uh, layout with, with a hole in the middle, <laughs> but um, but it's not a not a shelf layout. Um, it, it's if you it, so crudely, I suppose it's like a board with a hole in the middle. But um, so actually, what it's doing now is it's now raised up and put pushed into one corner of the room, if you like. So it leaves um, um, it does leave a, a space around. Um, two walls of the room. The fact that I can sort of walk under it now sort of gets away from the sort of duck under problem, if you like, that that a hole in the middle would always give. So if I wanted to um to operate from a um a different location, I just need to um drop down, walk underneath and come up again um, without um you know without cracking my head on anything really. Certainly. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's really the the. Um, I, I did think about sort of making a few cuts in it and expanding it a bit and turning it effectively into um, a shelf all the way around the room. But um, again, I think it's um, I think really ought to uh, just stick with <laughs> trying to get it uh, running as it is. Really, given the the, um, the the speed that I work at, I think I'd probably better not start doing too many. Um, drastic changes at the moment and the holding on the two sides of the room where it's abutted against the wall mm. suspends it sufficiently for the remaining two parts that are coming out into the room well yes what what um what i've done actually i have a, a couple of um the ikea uh, billy bookcases in that room and I, I found that um by sitting the what were unsupported edges on top of these bookcases? It's about the right height, so um, so it's uh, it's supported on wall brackets on a couple of sides, and um, and um, Billy bookcases on the other two, which makes a fairly substantial uh, support actually. So you walk into a space with bookcases kind of hedging the sides, and then the walls on the other side. Is that am I imagining that correctly? Uh, so you're actually walking into the layout still with the bookcases kind of being the entryways. That's right. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So you can you can actually walk down one side and there's enough space to put the little steps so that mm. you can can uh, get to the um, the well the two outside edges if you like, and then I can walk underneath and, and come up in the middle if I want to do that. And is the plan to operate on both sides of the shelving so you actually get additional access really to the layout where you can, where previously obviously you could only see it from one side, now you can get to it from both sides of the kind of jutting out corners. So are you going to operate on both sides? Um, possibly. I think the, um, the original plan, the way, the way it was set up before was that the, um, if you were in the centre opening, you couldn't actually see 
the rest of the layout. It was a, it was a, it was designed to to, um, to to split into into um, scenes really. So one scene would be from the middle of the layout. One scene would be down one side of it on the outside, and another scene would be um, um, again outside of it on the end. But I have been thinking about. Um, uh, that very thing that you mentioned that uh, you could effectively have access yes to to um to to both sides of um uh, of a show i suppose i suppose that's i guess that's probably what i did have in a way but but it it was divided had a sort of uh, a scenic divider if you like mm. down you could say down the middle of the shelf, I suppose. So, Certainly. yes, I suppose you did, did have sort of access on, on both sides of it, yeah. yeah. But historically, you had to duck under the actual layout to get to the other side. So now you have that open, so to speak, where the stepladder can get to either side, I guess. Uh, that's right, yeah. Interesting. That's right. Interesting. Yes. So there's, um, a, there's a idea in the model railroading hobby that UK model railroaders specifically will utilise absolutely any space available in order to have a loud. And, Mike, you seem to be... You seem to be moving into that cliche area very well. This sounds like a really fascinating project, particularly taking an existing layout that was supposed to be, you know, viewed at standard layout height and then moving it up. I guess, yeah, it, it offers a lot of potential with regards to operating. Also, the visual interest, because I guess you force some of the detail to be closer to the edges just to, I guess, get, uh, you know, for, for those that not on the step ladder can still get enjoyment out of this layout. And the potential also to utilize the ceiling and to have basically mountains to the ceiling and beautiful. I mean, you could potentially do sky on the ceiling and a bunch of other things as well, maybe <laughs> stars and lighting. I mean, a lot of potential here, Mike. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it, it only occurred to me when I realized that, um, you know, while I was, um, um, trying to fit things into this room, it dawned on me that the ceiling was quite high. Uh, because what it, it's actually, um, it's sort of what part of, um, well, what we would call an undercroft, I suppose, sort of a semi basement, really. It's, it was, um, uh, the, the garage was underneath the house. Um, and, um, the previous owner, um, had part of the garage partitioned off for his own model railway, <laughs> as it turned out. Oh, interesting. Um, interesting. And, um, and, it just happens to be that uh, be- because of that particular um, layout of, of, of rooms and things that um, the, the, the ceiling down there in that sort of garage area is is quite high. And I, I thought, well, I just I just wonder, you know, if there's enough room up there to <laughs> uh, to do this without you know banging heads on on the ceiling. I mean, I, I, I'm going to be you know, operating it really on, on my own virtually all the time, really. So it doesn't matter too much, uh, to me. Although I have, um, I have sort of toyed with the idea of, um, possibly using one of these Billy bookcases that may not be needed for support, uh, on the layout and, and sort of turning it on its side and, um, could use it actually as a, about the right height of sort of walkway along one side. So, um, I could still, store things in the bookcase the other way up if you like and um um go up onto there onto the up the steps onto this um little walkway that it would it would form so you could actually walk up and down the uh, to the one one side of it i guess if you wanted to without uh, dropping down and just moving your little steps along hmm sounds like a lot of potential mike sounds like a lot <laughs> of fun 
<laughs> well, I hope it'll be fun. It'll be a lot of something. <laughs> yes, yes. So, look, as you live in the Midlands, this is a... Um, not really. I don't know. My wife and I have become obsessed with canal boats recently. It could just be the fact we've been locked down since March, and mm. uh, canal boats just seem to be amazing free ways to see parts of, you know, parts of England that we are sorely missing currently. Do you mm. live near any canals? We do actually. There's um uh, about um twenty minutes walk from us, I suppose, is something called the Bugsworth Basin, which um was originally a fairly active, well, very active, I think, canal uh, terminus, uh, which where they um, they used to load, I believe, um, limestone, I think, mm. um, amongst and other things um, onto onto narrow onto canal boats um, to, to to link into the main system. Uh, of course, nowadays it's used. Uh, recreationally of course but um a friend of ours sort of long-term friend of ours um owns a a narrow boat which he's he's had for many years we did do a holiday on it once um and um he's near near rugby Mm -hmm. um, i guess um and um so uh yeah he's got a lot of um experience of uh, of such things uh, if that's of any use to you (laughs) (laughs) well it may well be i think uh certainly uh, the nature of lockdown in california we could just digital although i'm not even sure if the uk would let us in currently we might have to go via iceland or something like that (laughs) prove our our uh covid uh credentials but yeah no it's been just for us the means of uh you know seeing beautiful vignettes of england uh, mm. in a very slow-paced way. And I think as you know, we're looking for means of escape, in fact, a, a good number of my co-workers are escaping currently. So mm. as the program gets bigger, we, uh, you know, we are thinking accordingly. So you never know. We could turn up uh, 20 minutes' walk from <laughs> sometime <laughs> in the new year if things continue the way they're going. So let us see. Yeah, well, I know we there are you know a number of um, companies that uh, that hire these boats out. Um, so uh, we have actually done done that as well. You know, we sort of hired one years ago and wandered off around the uh, the, the canals. But um, don't, not quite sure how their business is at the moment. Whether they busy with people or whether there aren't that many people uh, i'm not quite sure at the moment so no well certainly if you watch youtube it seems to be particularly if the weather's good quite busy currently so i unfortunately none of them go up to leeds or hull or any of the areas there where i would certainly be wanting to explore as well so yeah we'll have to wait and see but um maybe a footnote for the future and thank you very much for calling in today mike wonderful to get an update for your layout <laughs> yes, I thank you very much. I'll uh, I'll hang on and uh, see what, what I can learn. Thank you very much. Th- thanks for calling in. Well, it wouldn't be a Saturday morning show without some representation from Kent. Martin Coons, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's the wrong term. Fortunately. He's catching up with his daughter, who he hasn't seen for uh, for many months now, probably a, a response to this lockdown business. But we do have on Simon Hill, and Simon, you have the luxury of having the floor to yourself today. So in terms of the model railroading hobby, and just in terms of lockdown in general, 
How are things in your part of the world? Um, very good at the moment. I um, had our first trip down to Bregar last Tuesday. Ooh, wonderful. Um, seems a bit strange since March, really, was the last time I attended. And obviously, yes. now the owner's not about it. So, yeah, yeah a little bit sad, but it, it's been nice to get out into the countryside and a bit of peace and quiet and no one around us. Um, have those strange it, sheep been doing their job and kind of strimming in the absence of human humans on the or are they i mean i'm assuming because they still have people on the property they're still mowing and doing various other things oh yes there's plenty of sheep around there's a few cows as well so <laughs> I've, I've put an order in in case anything's going but nothing's <laughs> forthcoming at the moment Alas. Uh, but uh no we're, we're, we're keeping it very small parties down there at the moment we're only having a maximum of four on site so that keeps it uh, as you know very very manageable um the resident uh, engineer down there has been beavering away and uh, it's actually been quite nice because he hasn't talked to many people, so I've spent most of the day chatting. So Wonderful. But there's lots of little jobs been going on. We've decided that all the timber work on the site needs some work doing on it, so he's been beavering away, uh, replacing panels and painting, oh um, been busily mowing the grass, uh, been getting on with a few of the engineering jobs, but a lot of those jobs do require two people so we started um doing a few bits on one of the locos that's having its tenure uh overall at the moment um so that's that's been progressing next week we've got one engine to steam uh to test out the new bearings that have been put on so that'd be a pleasant day just gently running her in yes uh, and it's good to catch up with a few people because it's, it's you know it's Easy to chat on uh, the phone or <laughs> Skype or Zoom. But There's something very having... different about people in person, though, isn't there? Yes. Absolutely, especially someone you've not really seen a lot of. And just to catch up on what's happening and see some of the family after the sad events of April. Um, and they're all, you know, they're all very pragmatic about things and they're just getting on with it, which is great to see because it's a such a wonderful asset down there. We don't we don't want to lose it, and we've got to all pull together to in, ensure it, it does stay. And there's still a lot of enthusiasm across the board with it. Um, we've had some really nice nice comments from people that are our regular visitors. You know, they're they're behind us 100, percent just sure. waiting to see what happens. I mean, we're not sure how this is all going to pan out, even for next year. So yes putting in place a few ideas that if we have got to segregate people and the coaches and around the site, um, it, it will be a different way of working and a different way of dealing with people, but I'm sure we can come up with a way that's manageable. Yes, we can't have the hordes of people we used to have, but hopefully get a few people back because they are crying out to visit places. Uh, yes. A few railways have opened up. I know the Sittingbourne Railway. Yes, certainly. I've seen, I've seen traffic on Facebook indicating that uh, – I mean, I don't know what it looks like actually in terms of the open days, but I guess they, you know, maintain various protocols and are able to open up accordingly. Well, I was talking to the chap, the engineer at Bridgar, and he went up to Statfold Barn last weekend, which is one of their open days, and they had a, they did run a service. They had not a huge amount of people on site, but he said the amount of work going in just to keep the place clean. Every time a train's run with people on it, it comes out of service, it's cleaned. Then it puts a few more people on it. So that's a big ask for all the volunteers. But if the wheel's there and they want to get on with it, that's the way they're going to manage it. And so, which is good to see because, you know, a lot of people said a lot of these railways are going to go under. I think there are cases where bigger railways are losing an awful lot of money and they do need money coming in. But 
we just got to see what happens in the long term with it all. No, no one can predict what's going to happen. We've had a bit of a spike over here at the moment. So there's all this worry about, you know, various areas going into lockdown again. But I think if people are sensible, uh, keep, keep their eye on the ball. Hopefully we, we will get through this. Um, on the small scale modeling. Yeah. I've been very busy lately. Been doing, as you've probably seen on Facebook. Yes. Um, been quite a lot on the lab. Just done a couple of things in plastic to get away from doing metal. It's such a nice change to do something completely different. Mm. Uh, I was actually talking to Martin about it, and he said, did you go on to do something plastic because of the, it's easier than metal? I said, well, yes, um, it, it's like a breath of fresh air. Yes. Uh, but I started going back on to do some on my 16 mil models now. That's um, only because I've got a few areas on the layout I need to think about what I'm going to do next. So I think that's a critical thing is to not do something that you're going to regret later on because what's tending to happen now with the layout is because it's difficult to move a baseball because I've got to dismantle it the either side of it, it's better to think about what I want to do and think of the jobs that are going to be done on that board whilst it's taken down. So I'm making lists on each board so that when I do come to do these jobs, I can try and accomplish all of them on that, that element before it uh, goes back in. That way I don't miss a job. Um, but it's, it's part of the planning anyway, and I think that's one of the keys of the layout because it's restricted site. It is difficult to work on if you're not keeping up on what needs doing. Um, the 16 mil model, yep, that was uh, a few jobs done on that. Although one of the areas I put on recently was that uh, one of the saddles was erected the wrong way around. So that was quite a fraught moment for a, uh-huh. a day sorting that out. But I think that's that's a key to modelling, isn't it? Overcoming any errors you build in and not not be frightened just to get in and go on with it. Certainly, yeah. Uh, and uh, actually publicise it because I think a lot of people, you see all these models and you often think, what actually happened? Did they actually do anything wrong on that? Have they come up with any ways of correcting any errors? Um, most of the time, it's a simple error, but and if, you know if you can correct it. But as I said to Martin, if it goes wrong, I just got to make another saddle tank. Which yes, it's a lot of work, but it's it's one of those things that it it will pick at me if I know it's wrong. It's got to be done. Um, <laughs> and we we had quite a good chat during the week with Martin and Neil, um, just catching up on things. We tend to do that sort of every other week. Um, I've been discussing transfers. Martin's um, tried out a new company over here printing transfers for any scale, really. He Mm. tried some for his garden railway, all water slide. He said they're very thin on the carrier, which is good. Yes, definitely. But it it can have the effect that it starts to drag the carrier underneath if you're not careful. Yes, yes. Uh, and the other issue Martin found was um, he's taken the um, process up from JPEGs. He's not using a CAD drawing, and it's a printing process. It's printed diagonal lines, so you get slight serrations on straight edges. Interesting. Um, which, when you blow it up, you can see it. I think Martin's a little bit unsure about whether to go exile. I've got Martin to draw up a lot of the artwork for my mm. Shed railway, and one of the issues I don't want is to have issues with serrations. And if you can see them, they can make a, a straight line look rather odd. Yes, yes. So, is it the kind last... of thing where if you weather after doing it, you can break it up anyway through the weathering? I'm just thinking of techniques you could use other than you know actually painting over the uh, the transfers. I suppose you could, although because it's got a carrier film on it, you've got to hide the carrier film as well. Certainly. And unless you can cut extremely close to the transfer, 
then you, you've got two areas to try and eliminate. And that, that's one of the things that I was a bit concerned about. But what Martin's going to try is he's um, got a couple of dry prints, uh, printers he, he's used in the past. He might try those again because I've, I've not got any issues with rub-down transfers because what I tend to do anyway is put them onto a carrier film and then align them onto the model because it's difficult at times to get a rub-down transfer exactly where you need it. Yes. And especially if it's going over raised detail or yes, yes. if it's got like wood panelling where it needs to soak into the, the model, then I'd rather go down the, the carrier film. But no, I mean, we're making a bit of headway with it. Um, Neil's busily uh, chomping away at lots of electronic projects at the motorways. He hasn't done an awful lot of modelling. I mean, because of the weather over, it's been so hot lately. I think we've all suffered from a bit Believe of me. lag <laughs> where we just sort of sat, sat in front of a fan watching YouTube videos and television to try and keep cool. Yes, uh, we're having rolling blackouts this afternoon because the weather is not only hot, it's in the high 30s, 37, 38, maybe even 39 today. But yeah, the power company, which shouldn't even be in existence after killing a bunch of people, um, is uh, deciding that yeah, rolling blackouts is the way to go. So we won't have fans yeah. this afternoon. I think misters are going to be the order of the day this afternoon. <laughs> but yeah, we're experiencing similar heat waves, so I'm certainly very sympathetic um, to, to your conditions. One of the things I've sort of been looking back on recently is the, the sort of journey we've taken. Uh, with my layout and what Martin's been doing, and also the influence of the podcast, what it's had on what we're achieving. And my journey uh, started with a layout um, a long time ago, probably, oh, I don't know, about six years ago, probably some of the early podcasts I was listening mm. to. And the, I think the influence that came from it was listening to people talk about their journey with their layouts and not being frightened to go for it. And I think one of the areas of modelling that I'm never frightened of doing is going in a completely different direction. Um, once the business disappeared and I had the space and what to do, I mean, when I was listening to sort of people that are very active in the hobby by this podcast, it's you think perhaps that's the way to do it. I mean, I know absolutely nothing about American railroading prior to listening to people here and then talking and doing a bit more research, going online, looking at their, their blogs and seeing what they're doing. I think because we're getting quite close to number 200 now. Yes, we are. The the reference we've got (laughs) going back to number one is immense. It's It's amazing. It really is. I'm glad you raised that. I was thinking about that this morning as well. So I'm glad you raised show 200. I think what I'm going to do is probably record for about 10 to 12 hours. I think that's the only way to really celebrate show 200. When obviously, you know, with lockdowns and what have you, um, I don't know, locals could probably drop off donuts and coffee, but aside from that, there's not really a lot we can do socially through these times, aside from, you know, putting out a podcast. So I think probably for 200, which will probably happen either at the end of December or the start of January, but depending on how many weeks off I take, we will, yeah, definitely run a, an, an extraordinarily long show, record it as we have historically and put it out without any edits. So I think that's what 200 will bring. But yes, I the stories, and as you say, the evolution of modelers, and as you say, the, you know, the kind of almost peer pressure to move forward at all costs, I think is something that is very much the legacy of Model Rail Radio, which I'm very proud of, actually. I think it's been an amazing opportunity just 
when I first came to the Bay Area, I met Matt Goodman by chance. He was here through work. Um, and we spent uh, the better part of a day together. And I realized that Matt Goodman had joined the NMRA pretty well solely because of the podcast. And that had created new social groups and what have you. And obviously, Jim Gifford and co traveling the world, meeting people, even me. I mean, <laughs> you know, I know you guys for a start through the podcast. And, you know, I really, uh, really respect and, you know, enjoy our friendship because I think, you know, you've shown me a variety of little niches that I would probably have missed without actually knowing you folk. And also I look at the British uh, magazines with a greater degree of respect, knowing that you all have, have traversed those magazines as well. So, yeah, I think it's it's fascinating to reflect on, you know, 200 shows, but also just, as you say, the camaraderie and the kind of legacy of, of pushing people, <laughs> of peer pressure uh, to get things done. I mean, absolutely. That's I mean, that's the way is when you ask people, you tend to get a lot of answers coming. And I think there's not many things that don't go unanswered when people post anything asking for help. I mean, people that stand out in my mind, yes, Matt Goodman, Mike Deverell and Ron Kleiss. Definitely. You know, the modelling they've achieved and the way they've gone about it, I think that's what can inspire people, and especially what you've done to bring us all together in, sort of in one big group. And through the Facebook, it, it gives people a lot of hope. I mean, there are people out there that are very much loners. They don't want to do anything that anybody else is going to influence them. And, you know, you've got, you've got to respect that. But I think as a community, what can be achieved and improving the, the skill base, that's that's where we are, really. Most definitely. Yeah, I, I think aside from, well, we had Peter Stimple, we had Jim Gifford and uh, Ross, obviously, and me, the... The international camaraderie, I think, is really fascinating because almost all of it is virtual. But as you say, with photographs, with discussion, I think it's interesting because nothing actually beats seeing the layout itself. I think that's one of the things that I find traveling and meeting people through this recording is to actually see the layouts. I mean, this is why people like Ralph DeBlasey, for example, I really am looking forward to seeing his layout because I have a sense of it in pictures, Seth Gartner as well. But I, when I realize occasionally they take YouTube video and I see a pan and I'm like, I've, I've never seen that section. I don't know mm-hmm. where that thing is. You know? And I think also um, seeing uh, Bernie Kapinski's layout, it's actually quite a small layout, but it's got a huge amount of detail packed in a series of spaces, although he's knocked out a wall and, or at least he's put a tunnel through a wall to make it even larger. But you get a sense of these layouts. And I, I feel the same way about Jim Gore's layout, which I've never seen, but I'd love to see because, again, utilizing every possible vista, every possible angle. Um, and obviously Malcolm Johnson, although he doesn't currently have a layout, has done that to an extreme sense. I actually have a, he gave me a, a, probably 10 inches by 12 inches worth of a hyper detailed piece of his layout as he was breaking it up. Um, and that's a amazing, you know, just pulling it out of the box. It was at my office for a period of time and I would always kind of nudge people particularly those that had, I mean, I think the broader community, I mean, thankfully in the UK, through shows in particular, you guys have done an amazing job explaining model railroading to the general public. But certainly in the US, there's a slight stigma. So I'd have co-workers come over and just peer into Malcolm Johnson's world and realize that in a very small space, you could have 16 to 20 different vistas into various aspects of, 
you know, semi-rural Japanese life perfectly captured. And certainly, I mean, the stuff that you guys do just in terms of evangelizing the hobby is something that I've wanted to really kind of capture and discuss um, because you guys have a very particular way of doing it, which has some elements of Australian, some elements of US, but is basically unique um, in, in practice and execution. Um, and certainly I wanted to capture that. And I think talking to our Australian participants, in particular the professor, for example, he has learned a lot from you guys. And this is a gentleman who has done, you know, train shows for 20 years, but he has been absolutely fascinated with various aspects of the stuff that you've been doing and has kind of been stalking you remotely um, to get more um, information from you guys. I'm not sure if he's reached out to you specifically. Um, but, yeah, it is amazing the kind of spreading of knowledge and historically where knowledge has been very regional, making that an international thing now. Absolutely. I mean, it, whenever you come over next time, if you can spare a whole day, there's a layout we can take you to it. My friend in North London, it's a very inspiring layout. We've spoken about it in the past. Uh, it's never going to go back to exhibitions again because it's just too big a layout to take out. But it's one of those layouts you can just spend a day looking at the detail. And <laughs> Kevin, who owns it, he's one of these chaps that will inspire people whoever he talks to. His yes. modelling skill is absolutely yeah. amazing. But bringing together a group of people to actually build the layout as well, and using some quite different skills um, when he was doing this, the back scene to get the compression in to build a village in a, a space of an inch deep. But from a perspective, when you look at it, is absolutely mind blowing. They're the sort of things you've got to see up in real totally. life. You can't really, you can't really achieve it in a photograph. But yeah, if when next time you come over, if you can spare a day, we can take you over there. I know Martin and Ken are always up for a, a ride over to see Kevin. <laughs> And it's one of those places where you would thoroughly enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, the north of London is uh, the, the northeast, northwest, and uh, bits in between are always fun. So, no, I would most definitely be up to that. Maybe I can actually meet you on location um, to, to save. Um, but, yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm i looking forward. I, I'm not sure if you heard the uh, canal boat-related discussion, but as things progressively, uh, I don't necessarily want to use the term deteriorate here, but let's say deteriorate here. Um, living vicariously through YouTube, various English scenes is what's keeping Michelle and I sane through these uh, particular months. So you never know what will happen next year. Let us see what uh, next year will bring. But yeah, we may be in the UK a lot faster than we'd originally determined. So fingers crossed. <laughs> well, we look forward to that. Anyway, Simon, so as you have the floor, as you have the floor, what is coming up in the future with regard? I mean, you, you, Move between your layout and the 16 millimeter stuff absolutely seamlessly, and it seems to inspire you in different ways. Now you're moving into, you know, plastic structures and these kind of things. What is coming up in the next few months? What are you looking forward to working on? I think I'll probably spend the winter working on the 16 mil models, mainly because it's a lot more fault required on these projects, and because it's it's not too hot. It's a lot easier to concentrate, and the whole process is fairly time-consuming. Whereas with a layout, it it tends to be I can set a project for a week and I can go and achieve that. Whereas with a Darren model, I've got a list of bits that I just drew this stuff this morning of bits I've got to do on it before I go too much further. It's all the very small, intricate detail parts that take a long time to actually get to the stage of cutting metal and then the, the assembly and fixing onto the model. So. 
that's probably what I'll do now up to Christmas and probably early New Year. And that gives me time then to reflect on the layout bits because I've done, in lockdown, it's been complete layout build. So I've done an awful lot, although I've not finished things. I've gotten to a stage where the buildings are there, but not finished so that I can get an idea of how they fit into the scene. That's probably where I want to be. Uh, talking to Marcy the other day, it will be nice at some point when we can actually meet to have a few operating sessions to try and get rid of a few more areas of concerning with the car cars and wavels. That's probably where I want to go with that before I go too much further. The outside, I think the next year might see the beginning of the garden railway. Interesting. Um, main, mainly because going to have a greenhouse and yes. before I do anything um, around the greenhouse, I can put the layout around that. It's not going to be initially just a loop and then progress out from that. Mainly because I don't want it to dominate garden too much. So as I know um, your garden, where would the greenhouse be located? Would it be in the current green space? Would it be over to one side? Where would it be located? If you're looking down the garden towards the workshop, it'll be mm-hmm. on the left-hand side. Okay, which is now interesting. A yeah. big, it's a big raised bed now. Certainly. Um, and the greenhouse has come about because I did have a, a rather large cold frame that goes up each year, which is hard work, and it's starting to rot away now. So the... We, we come to a decision that a greenhouse would be better. Yes. It, one, it, it would look better, and also I haven't got to worry about moving plants around too much, and it's Certainly. easier. Yeah. But the fault of them putting the, the line around the outside, it can then progress from there. Just keep it very simple to start with. Certainly. Draw, drawing on what Martin's done on the construction using metal, which started with Ken's layout, so that the big problem, you know, with our uh, climate, it's very damp. Yes. And wood, wood just doesn't last. Don't want to go down this plastic area that people can use. I think it's called thick crisp, fill crisp. Mm-hmm. There are lots of expansion issues with it. Yes, certainly. Um, using this metal roof panelling and some steel bars is probably the better way to go. But that, that's something I can work on, uh, as well as doing the 16mm model in the shed, because exterior work isn't too much of a problem. So, yeah, I think that's that's what I'd like to achieve next year. Get me greenhousing get a, a very simple loop going around the outside of it. Wonderful. And then, then progress from that. Because I know Martin is, is still beavering away with his outside line. Uh, but I think the weather's got the better of him recently. So mm. once he gets back into it, it won't take him long to get another great chunk of it built. And then he's, he'd be championing it a bit to have a, a bit of a meet-up. We could probably have a meet-up over there now because it's, it's big enough in his garden that we're not going to bump into each other. Certainly. Um, but I think he's because he's got trenches still all over the place where he's busily hiding uh, cabling. So, <laughs> I mean, that's where I, I will be. Uh, not sure what I'm going to be doing too much on the O-gauge side. Mm. That's as and when now. I've got, like everybody, I've got a, a loft full of bits and pieces I could be doing, but I don't want to dive off too much into that. <laughs> it takes time away. Time and space, um, yes. Yes. Are you going to use an aluminium is it going to be an aluminium greenhouse with glass, or are you going to use plastic, or what, what kind of construction are you going to use? It's aluminium powder-coated with glass. Wonderful. It's got to be green. Management decreed it's got to be green. Gosh. So that's, that's Are you going to move your tomatoes in there, or are you still going to grow your tomatoes outdoors through the summer? Um, this year's been phenomenal. I've got tomato plants <laughs> seven foot tall down the side of the shed. I mean, Believe we've got me. so many tomatoes. But that's very weather-dependent. Yes, I think for trying to achieve tomatoes in our poor climate. Well, we do have a bad summer. Yes, the greenhouse will be a lot better, but it's not It's not going to be a big greenhouse. It's only 8 by 6 but it's big enough that's, to... That's a perfect size greenhouse. I had an 8 by 6 greenhouse for a few years. And, uh, yeah, no, it, it, 
it gives you an additional couple of months on either side of the season if you can maintain it as well. So you can almost get to... I was growing basically two seasons worth of tomatoes in a single season um, through it. So, yeah, no, greenhouses are a different thing, but also a passion of mine. But, yeah, though this year the hot peppers have been the big thing for me. And I'm growing so many, I'm actually sending parcels to my co-workers and family members and things like that. In fact, I'm trying a bunch to get them into the UK. But, yeah, no, the hot peppers for us are the things that have completely taken over. The tomatoes are doing okay, but nothing like these peppers. I've never seen anything like these peppers. So. Oh, yes, I think we might have grown too many tomatoes this year with 40 plants. <laughs> That's always the danger. And then, then you end up, uh, I mean, we jarred for one year, and they're sweet typically, so they're not like standard, you know, jarred tomatoes at all. So you have these kind of hyper-sweet tomato sauces that you have to make for two or three years following with all the jars, but it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Absolutely. I could do it with some more freezer space, but there we go. <laughs> I can't have everything. Yes. Well, dried tomatoes as well are a thing that we've gotten into too. You can get the drying racks, and now we um, our toaster oven burnt out, and the new toaster oven has a drying setting, so... I'm sure we're going to be utilising that towards the end of the season. Well, Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. I don't know what's happened to these other callers. They were supposed to. uh, I think we've lost a few, so I'll need to ping some people. But please, down the line, hopefully we'll get on at least Clark Cooning and maybe a couple of others. Have a good discussion. Thank you for calling in today. Thank you, Tom. I look around the podcasting area, let's call it that, which has become my, well, it was originally part of my wife's quilting room. It still is, technically. But my wife is demanding a section of my podcasting room currently. It's a full kind of hostage exchange for any potential staining and other things that have occurred while I've been here. Anyway, I am seeing priority mailboxes, which continue to be a way that I can send people things through this lockdown period. One of the folks who received something through this lockdown period. Michael Dorney, can you talk a little bit about, uh, have you been able to build any of the structures I sent you yet or like in your uh, hobby uh, hobby store? Well, what I'm, what I'm doing is something kind of unusual. Um, we have a thing called the Golden Spike. Certainly. And and it's a, an NMRA award, and it calls for five structures. And what I want to do is um, I have a bunch of... Um, uh, Ron Kleiss's buildings, and I would like to have my golden spike be five of his kits, just to use as kind of a marketing gimmick or a, a means of calling attention to him. He's a he's a new kit builder, and I want to build his business. I mean, I want him to succeed. So, so that's uh, kind of a kind of um, the next move, so to speak. And uh, right now, I have to do eight square feet of scenery for the golden spike, or eight square feet of model. And that's what I'm doing first. So I have a, uh, I have a uh, module that is a 180-degree turn. You come in, and your track goes 180 degrees and comes out the other way in the back. So it's not like a loop, not like a hairpin loop. It's like a, a, a semicircle. So it would go against the ends of two modules. So it's about 60 inches wide and about, no, 38 inches long. And uh, But that'll be enough square feet for the golden spike and it's kind of a uh um it's kind of a module that will get a moderate amount of use because it's really a module geared towards a particular function of a club setup where 
you might say, oh, no, we need we need a 180 right here. Mm-hmm. And then that would that would fill in. Because uh, a lot of times you'll do you'll do a pair of 180s to make an S turn because you can't run the modules the full length of the room. But if you do an S turn and jog it over another six feet, you can go into an ex- like an extra you know sitting room or sure. or, or small, you know there's there's some geometry advantages. And you know those those guys that do the module setups, you know they're good at fitting in a lot of modules in a funky space. Oh yeah, believe me, believe but, but thank, me. Thank you for the thank you for the kits. They will be well received. Well, so yes, it was. I think I've, I've a number of mind map models kits have gone through my hands, but these were just a couple that were left over. And I thought, uh, have you actually? I mean, you go to the East Coast periodically. Have you had the opportunity of meeting Ron Kleiss? I have not, and in fact, um, in theory, I go to the East Coast a lot. <laughs> I, had, I had I had planned on um, I had planned on going back four times this year. Mm. You know, one of them to one of them to St. Louis, mm-hmm. and three of them to the East Coast. And uh, um, so now my travel budget is five thousand dollars to the good. Yes, and because uh, uh, it's hard to it's hard to go anywhere for less than a thousand bucks. And uh, I, I just spent two weeks there yes. and, uh, between between an odd collection of cheap motels, a plane ticket and a rental car. Um, you know, that's a thousand bucks. Yes. And uh, now I have a buddy um, who I went to high school with and we've recently reconnected. And uh, I told him, I said, the next time a plane ticket drops below a hundred dollar round trip to Boston, I'm coming out just for the heck of it, just for a week. Well, it got down to fifty six bucks round trip, and uh, um, and uh, unfortunately nothing's open. So, uh, and I think I think if I flew into Massachusetts, I would be required to quarantine. I don't think I could actually go out. Yes. So, uh, yes. Um, the New York, Massachusetts, and Maine have quarantine rules. Yes. Yes. But, but, uh, is your son? Um, meet is your son back with you, or is he still on the East Coast? Neither. He. Um, he is connected with a group called Opus Day. I don't mm. know if you've ever heard of it. Mm. And they had a convention in uh, convention, twenty people. <laughs> they had a meeting. They had a meeting in Valparaiso, Indiana. Gosh. And he said he wanted to go to it, and I said okay. So he went, and um, he is he is a phenomenally inexpensive kid. Mm. Um, he uh, went through college on essentially a free ride. Um, he. Basically flies between Newark and here um, on United nonstop and gets tickets for like 130 bucks each way. So uh, and then he hops on a train to uh, from Newark to Princeton, and uh, so that's his his total travel budget. So uh, he can come home whenever he wants. He can travel wherever he wants, and he's just uh, um, it's an all around uh, you know low cost kid. And uh, one thing about one thing about mathematics, it's it's not very expensive. The, you know, you don't buy strip wood and brass and plastic and you know. Air <laughs> and you can, or you can probably so. work out when uh, plane tickets are going to be particularly cheap as well. It's funny actually, just the incidental mathematics that yeah one can use in everyday life, particularly in predictive capacities. Although currently, it's probably not good to have any degree of knowledge of these things because it all just looks terribly bleak if you have any. Any intimate knowledge with regards to mathematics. Interesting. So my thought would be, if you've ever met Ron Class, you'd probably have ten of his kits rather than five of them um, on your layout. But no, he is. I, look, everything you said, uh, I concur with uh, exactly. He's exactly the kind of kit manufacturer 
this hobby needs. And I think in large part talking to him um, on location in New Jersey, I just realized that visually he has, although he's, you know, releasing kits at a, a relatively good chop, he has tens, if not hundreds of potential kits that he's currently churning through in photographs in ideas and rather than picking cliches, which I think a number of, well, it's not really cliches, but you know, the, the new England style right. of, of craftsman kit is very well defined, very well represented. And it f- fills the gaps of a number of layouts, but all the other structures that exist through parts of the U S which are also heavily represented in terms of people's layouts are somewhat left behind. And I think Ron represents that movement of bringing back, I don't know, just, just structures, which in and of themselves are intrinsically beautiful, but are also very necessary and can be easily kit bashed to fit a variety of different parts um, of the U S I haven't heard, although he obviously sells internationally. um, I've not heard of people. In fact, I've sent some of his kits internationally. I've not heard of uh, them being adapted um, to, you know, other areas. Certainly, I could see them being adapted to, you know, England and Scotland and parts of Wales relatively easily. Ireland, maybe a little bit more um, kit bashing. But, yeah, it'd be interesting to see Ron's kits on international layouts with whatever modifications were necessary. So I'm sure Ron keeps track of these things. Um, as he tends to well, do. you do mention something quite interesting. Sometime this week, a a YouTube video is going to pop up, which is a European train enthusiast's uh, video. And a gentleman built a he built one of these Merklin layouts. That is the kind of layouts you would see in a department store. You know what I mean? They Certainly. Would, yeah. They would. It would, it would be like a 15 by 5 foot layout. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's big for a home. With three or four active loops all running trains in parallel, basically. Right. Well, you have yeah. active loops and trains running. And he is an architect. In fact, he did the cathedral for um, the Catholic Church in Oakland. And uh, um, that the history of that was that Santiago Calatrava was going to do the first version of the cathedral. And uh, by the time... He submitted his final plans. What so was going to be a ninety million dollar cathedral turned into a three hundred and thirty million dollar cathedral, <laughs> and uh, they said, "Wait a minute, we can't do this." Mm. So they went and found a a sort of standard architect called Skid- Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, who are kind of the the standard corporate architect that you would hire if you were the phone company or the power company or you know San Francisco City Hall. I mean, they're not. They're not star architects, and they're not producing sculpture. They're producing aesthetically beautiful but functional buildings. Well, they hired SOM, and he um, he was the lead architect on it, and uh, so he has an eye for buildings. And he has taken a whole bunch of of Volmer and Faller kits on his layout, and it's an absolutely beautiful layout. And I've looked at that and thought exactly what you said. If I took some of Ron Kleiss's kits and made them like half timbers or put like the, uh, you know how they European buildings have these gabled roofs that are. That was exactly what I was thinking. Gabled. Yeah. The roofs are the, 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 the first point of call, but with roof yeah, modifications have, is exactly as you say. Yes. Continue. Sorry. You have like truncated corners where you have a, um, a, an end of a gable, which in the U S would be just a straight gable, you know, two boards at an angle, but 
there, they chop it off at a 45 degree or whatever. And, um, and you have things like skylights in the roof and, um, which we have, but not many. I thought of taking some of his and modifying them and making them uh, half timbered on the upper stories and, uh, adapting them to, uh, some of my European modules. Um, I, uh, I do get a steady but slow source of supply wood to make modules, and uh, the European modules um, are only two feet wide. So I, when I get a piece of plywood that's 30 inches wide, it's a perfect size for cutting up into a two-foot-wide module. So I'm accumulating all the pieces for the European modules before I accumulate all the pieces for the North American modules. So I may wind up building European ones first just to, just to use the wood. Um, I hate to... I hate to do these uh, sort of a stack. I'll make a stack of all the pieces for a module and then wrap them in brown paper and label it, you know, European module. Well, I hate to have them around without building them, you know what I mean? Because then they'll sit forever. And uh, um, I've, got a, I've got a bookshelf that I built from my attic mm. that's been sitting around. It, it literally, I made it at BART. I was a mainline technician for almost four years and I made it at BART on my breaks at work. In other words, mm. I cut the wood, designed it, and I said, this thing's been sitting around for seven years. i gotta, I got to put it together. So uh, so I have it you know, on its way up into the attic. I have, I have a huge book collection. That's why I have a book collection of 1,000 books. And uh, I've tucked them in the attic. I've made clamps to the trusses so that the – I don't drill into the truss. I clamp yes. it with a piece of metal. And then I'll uh, put a board across it with like teeth cut out, like a comb, to form to form a bookshelf. And uh, that way, the little holes nest through the trusses, and then the board itself is the right width. And this is part of that project. But I mean, the, the, I mean, I I am in heaven with this lockdown. I mean, they they say <laughs> never waste, they never waste, never waste a crisis, and I am not wasting a crisis. It is and, a very uh, strange thing, actually. We have on people that I know professionally as well. And their private lockdown feedback is very similar to my private lockdown feedback associated with the experience. I think there are lots of things that have actually been incredibly beneficial through this. You, you mentioned books yep. specifically. I generationally have two generations of bibliophiles on both sides of my family. In fact, my father once sent me a third of his books, which was just completely overwhelming. And then I went through them and donated a good bunch and then kept a small number. But yeah, the bibliophile thing is a real problem. And I've been using the lockdown very similar to the box I sent you to send books to people as well, uh, which have been yeah. incredibly well received, actually. A fellow put together a YouTube video recently, went through extreme detail associated. And this was probably two months after he'd received the box. So he went through extreme detail associated with how intimately every item in the box had, had impacted him um, in some way. But yeah, it is interesting times for you know, just getting done with projects if, if you have the time. Professionally, if you don't have the time, it's interesting to work out how you can subdivide the little time you have to get projects done, which is the other part of the yeah, thing. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, to me, it's, I mean, I literally have all the time in the world and I'm not going anywhere. So you can go down a rabbit hole. The thing I like to do is if I go down a rabbit hole is to finish it and uh, or at least get it to a point where I got to order a part from Amazon or eBay or something. But, um, I don't like to, I don't like to have 40 things on have 40 things left undone. I, I like to have, you know, four projects waiting for parts and one being in process. So, uh, very um, good. Very good. But I mean, it's sort of project management style that I have. Are you but, going um, to be impacted by the rolling blackouts this, this afternoon, this evening? Have you heard about that? Are you 
Are you on PG&E uh, for the Bay Area, or are you off that malarkey? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on PG&E. I did bring up the map this morning, and I was not on the list for rolling blackouts. Oh, well, you're so one of the lucky I did, few. <laughs> I am lucky. Um, I, although every freaking rechargeable battery for my tools is oh, my charged. Goodness. I mean, because yes. if the blackouts hit, I'm going outside, and I got all kinds of... You know, uh, Ryobi and um, <laughs> Milwaukee batteries. So yes, uh, it sounds uh, like you're well suited. <laughs> I I can I can roll with the flow. So in terms of, I mean, we've talked a little bit about some of your projects. In terms of the next couple of months, as as things move, hopefully to be slightly cooler. Do you change the projects you work on based on the weather? Are you New England to the core in that regard, or what? What are the next few months looking like in terms of the hobby for you? Well, one of the biggest things I do is as soon as it starts to rain, I do genealogy and because uh, that's a great indoor hobby. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, it's, if it's raining, you can always do genealogy. Yes. So uh, um, I, as I get older, my eyesight declines, and I would much rather take a folding table and set it up, not so much in the sun, but at least where the sky light comes down, where you're getting like, you know, you know, 6,000 lux or whatever you want to call it. And uh, so you have great light from all directions. Um, but uh, in, as far as genealogy goes, you can do it from a, from a computer. And if you can't see it, just click the upper right corner and make it a, a 150 or a 200 times mm. resolution. But um, It is a funny thing, genealogy. My- I've had conversations with Michelle recently. I'm the only member of my extended family that does any – well, my mother to a lesser extent, but not to the extent that I've done – and what it's done for me is actually produced an extended family, quite literally. So a lot of the people I know in the UK that are related to me, none of my family knows about. I mean, my father has kind of distant memories of some of them. But yeah, genealogy, I don't know. If, the real question that we've had is whether or not it'll translate to the next generation. Like whether, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, I am just like you. I am more interested in living people than dead people. So I will go back four generations and then come forward four generations yes and um find cousins so i have <laughs> tons of cousins yes yes that are, uh, that are um so when i go back east i find cousins as well as you know trains and stuff like that certainly and uh but as far as translating um i'm kind of a um kind of a demographics generational analysis myers briggs family constellation freak mm-hmm. and uh i uh I did a lot of work with churches for a long time, mm. and uh, um, a lot of developing and building a church up involves looking at the people and plugging them in and assembling them like Certainly. Legos. Yeah, and, project uh, management style stuff. Right, yeah. and, and uh, um, there's a, a Hungarian called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He has a theory called flow, and uh, the idea is that you are in flow – when you're doing something that's interesting enough to be fun, not boring, yes, but not so complicated that you're challenged and stumped and frustrated. Yes. Plus, plus you have a certain amount of motivation and you have a certain amount of confidence. And those, you know, the motivation and confidence are kind of sort of, you know, karma fuzzy global terms. Not, Certainly, yes. Whereas the, the skills are focused. In other words, you know if you can do wiring. Like if you handed me a tortoise machine and a control panel and said, okay, hook up switch six and run the wires over the control panel for Franklin Yard. Yes. I said, okay. I mean, it's like, I know what I'm doing. And, uh, um, 
you know, so I'd look around and say, okay, he uses but a blue in terms iron of the generational or, question, I mean, in terms of the, right, yeah. do, do you feel, I mean, look, I've built a career on flow, so I know, Good. I understand it very well. Um, okay. it, the haphazard nature of it is somewhat curious, but let's move from that. Do you think there are distinct generational shifts that will change or eliminate? I mean, this is, you could, we could talk about the hobby in a similar light, but it always strikes me with genealogy specifically that it seems to be a kind of reductive, a reducing group as the generations go on. What are your thoughts? It is and it isn't. I think it'll come back. Um, you know, we have seen um, the boomers picked up on it because generally Generation X, a lot of Generation Xers, people make stereotypes about them. But one thing that is kind of common is that they have what they call a low Dunbar number, that they they exist with fewer friends than mm. most people. Yes. And uh, um, it's like, you know, you could say to me, say, uh, talk to... Um, so-and-so like Ron Kleiss and say, he'll introduce you to Fred Smith who does the um, Susquehanna. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I could call him up and kind of explain to him why I was calling him and and drop the names. Um, And we'd be friends. But as a boomer, that's kind of easy. But for a Gen Xer, it's kind of hard. Believe me. Well, (laughs) the, uh, the um, follow on generations will probably pick this up. Um, The, uh, the thing about the whole lockdown is is that up until now the only people that really use skype and zoom were nerds mm. and they would put up with the technology and mm. there was you know we had we both have the confidence to know that this thing works eventually. and we can figure it out eventually, eventually. Yeah. yeah and it's... a lot of people don't and they think they'll never get it and uh they're better off learning how to play the violin and uh so uh but, um, you know, they have a chance of learning that. They have no chance of learning Skype. Well, yes. I think that the, the climate of coaching and uh, um, the tolerance, the patience that we've all shown to non-techies with regard to Skype and Zoom has brought in a huge plethora of like-minded people all mm. over the world. Interesting. So, um, and, and I think the funny thing about model railroading is that I think, nothing of talking to somebody in Scotland or Australia, mm-hmm. just as if they were in like Indiana or Georgia, you Certainly. know, it's just another, another geography. And, uh, so, uh, but I, th- I think a lot of these things, things go in cycles. I think the cycle will come back. Yeah. Let's uh, just hope. Let's just hope. It I, is interesting actually out of my family members. I have a cousin specifically when, whenever I catch up with him, he will always ask me to just t- tell him stories <laughs> about the things that I've discovered through genealogy, which I always find really, whereas, you know, most of my family are like, you know, this is too eccentric. It's hard enough keeping contact with, you know, immediate relations, let alone, you know, second cousins and these kind of things. But Mike O'Donnell, yeah. it's been a pleasure as always. We do have Dave Brazza waiting in the wings. So I wanted to have oh, a chance I'm to chat with him. Okay. Um, but thank you very That's much good. for calling in today. Pleasure chatting as good always. Talk to, you. talk to you later. Bye-bye. Take care. like to welcome on a gentleman who I think of inextricably connected with the Bay Area. Dave Barraza, have you had a chance? I mean, what are your plans associated with coming back and visiting the Bay Area? <sighs> uh, forestalled for the moment. Mm. Uh, I was thinking about that uh, earlier today. Uh, 
when next I am at Silicon Valley lines, I need to bring donuts or mm. some other. You know, they're gesture. completely. If you, I'm not sure if you, you on their Facebook page and stuff, are you keeping tabs on what they're doing currently? Uh, yes, there's a. I think Gordy Robinson started a remote model railroad operations mm-hmm. page. Yep, and. Bernard Beck and Dave Falkenberg certainly. are figuring into the content there, yep. um, which is the, my reason for bringing some sort of donuts or thank you <laughs> to them uh, when we can all in the after times when we can all you know I, I can probably drop donuts off currently. I think I'd, I'd be allowed to <laughs> on my they, behalf. <laughs> they have blazed the trail uh, with the train cam. Yeah. Uh, there's also a gentleman, and and I thank them for that. Uh, you know, some I they. The hardware stuff and you know manufacturing stuff I can deal with, but the the world of software as it exists today, where you just go and grab stuff from the internet and by magic it works, is somewhat beyond my comprehension. Mm. Uh, you know, so the fact well, that so they, often it doesn't work. I think that's the. <laughs> this is my experience. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the fact that they've done a lot of that trial and error, and they were um, graciously. They came up with a write-up on a how we did it by SVL. Um, I appreciate greatly because um, I have every wrong camera and every mm. wrong component and every webcam that doesn't work well sitting sitting on shelves around the layout. Wonderful. And so, you know, I'm going to use them as a guide and uh, and moving into operations in the fall, which I, I plan on hosting. Mm. Uh, I would love to present an option for high risk type people or people who otherwise can't attend to mm. you know run trains remotely or, or just model rail podcast hosts perhaps yeah well, there you go <laughs> I, I, you're on the list very good I, I hope i was but i just wanted to make absolutely positively sure because your layout specifically i think when i was talking to dave Falkenberg a couple of weeks ago i mentioned your layout specifically as this is one layout that i would love to use you know, the technology that Dave is, is promoting. I mean, really, for folks listening in, we need to explain this thing very simply. This is literally buying off-the-shelf components, which are relatively easy to buy, putting them together, and with minimal effort, no compilers necessary, getting them to work together so you can actually operate on layouts virtually. And yeah, It's a train camp, yeah. yeah. With off-the-shelf components, nothing... Nothing too technical, right? Probably less technical than setting up JMRI, less technical than doing a bunch of things that people have already done in the hobby. And my hope is that the more people that do this, the more people that offer their layouts for these virtual operating sessions, the more this technology will just become completely mm-hmm. ubiquitous in the hobby. I, I have to say, I, it's it's another thing that, that is going to grow the hobby. Um, I've I've started doing remote operating sessions with a gentleman who lives in Virginia named Bob Rodriguez, and he has, in parallel with Silicon Valley Lines, developed a train cam system of his own. And he has possibly a dozen webcams looking at every town on his layout. Mm -hmm. And I had done a number of operating sessions that way where you you wait for your train to pop up Mm -hmm. on the screen and then you try and stop short of the the station building, which has a large six-inch letter S (laughs) put on top of it so you know where to stop. Certainly. But that was fun. 
and exciting. But mm. the train cam experience means that every single red signal, you can check every switch. It really puts you in the cab. And for a remote operator, it is, it's a whole new world. Mm. And so um, it's, uh, you know, the fact that the first couple solutions that have come up are sort of open source is warms my heart because an astute manufacturer could have hopped on to this. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I know they manufacturers in this day and age deal with, you know, dozen, a dozen months of lead time for stuff Certainly. to get manufactured. But, uh, um, you know, the, the fact that I can go on to Amazon and DigiKey and Adafruit and buy what I need. Um, oh, don't forget. Also, it helps to have a couple of, uh, well cars sitting around mm. um, you do need a piece of rolling stock to put all this hardware on <laughs> yes yes but uh you know it, it's it's great you know it's and it's a great community effort and it's you know it's the hob the hobby at its at its best certainly amen i think you've said everything i needed to say about the whole process oh, i didn't mean to sorry <laughs> aside from aside from the fact that i think it really will completely change the way people view the hobby I think these operating layouts, people firstly, the nature of an operating layout being slightly less scenic, perhaps, slightly more rough and ready, slightly more likely for, th you know, arms to reach over and break trees, so why put the trees in? This whole technology will move people into the Trolls Kirk school of cameras on layouts where structures and detail and these kind of things will come back to operating mm -hmm. layouts in a way that I think will really change aspects of the hobby. And what will be fascinating is, I mean, Seth Newman's layout is another layout where I think this immediately pop cameras down a lot of fun. And mm -hmm. a lot of really interesting switching problems as well, where the cameras come into play with that too. And yeah, I just, I see this as being a real, um, just a revolution, which ultimately, yeah. as you kind of noted and I kind of noted, Probably should have happened years ago, but let's let this horrible pandemic be the ability. And look, it takes, it takes, you know, Bernard and, and Dave Falkenberg and people uh, who are within technology companies, brilliant technologists as well, to mm -hmm. have a little bit of free focus time, perhaps <laughs> to devote to these things. But sure. yeah, it is, it is fascinating just the potential once this, once the, you know, very similar to NMRAX, really. You know, years yeah, worth of talking about this technology now becoming ubiquitous. Now, well, it's because there was a problem, an immediate problem yes, to be solved, as certainly. opposed to a future problem that it would be nice to solve. Yes, right. You know, what did you know, necessities a mother? Uh, without question. <laughs> well put, Dave. Well put. So, in terms of your layout, let's let's get back to this thing. Let's say October, November. You have two, three, maybe four of these camera cars operating. Mm -hmm. And potentially also, because, you know, hats off to Gordy for this idea as well, putting cameras, stationary cameras, are rail fanning points as well. What does this change about your layout? I mean, I've, I've done the Charles Kirk, you know, commentary. Does that force you to start looking more at scenery once you have these trains whizzing around <laughs> automatically piloted? Well, what are your it, thoughts it, associated? It does. I mean, and it, it's it's a good point. Um, my thinking has changed. I'd always thought that some of the trains would be 
operated automatically on my layout just mm. because they are a little boring mm-hmm. to, to drive 45 minutes over here, drive trains for a while, and, and not really do a lot of switching. But if you can do it from your own home without any commute, I think mm. it's a worthy diversion. And uh, there's also there's also model railroaders out there, you know, that don't enjoy switching puzzles, that mm. do enjoy just driving trains around and yeah, around. Certainly. And so that's a role that can be filled. If you, if you like, I got trains you can drive round and round. And if yeah. you don't have to fight traffic on the expressway to do it, um, I, I think some of my staffing issues uh, might be alleviated. Mm. Um, and uh, on the other front, uh, to answer your question about Charles Kirk, and by the way, was he the one who wrote the article maybe 20 or 30 years ago about putting a pinhole camera on your layout? Is no, no, Charles, Charles Kirk is a, a Swedish I think he's Swedish. Oh. I'm pretty sure he's Swedish. Swedish artist who just does amazing ah. large-scale, almost photorealistic, but really better than photorealistic paintings. He had a DVD that he put out maybe 10 years ago of a New England coastal town, let's say, where he had done all this super elaborate detail, sufficient that he could run a camera car around it in areas of layouts where people historically would never put in detail. He Mm -hmm. super detailed all these vignettes with the view that the camera car took no hostages. (laughs) It's true. So he, and we had him on, I think maybe once or twice, I've continued to follow um, his work. I mean, most of his work is associated with his large scale artwork, but he inspired, he was kind of the quintessential. I mean, very similar to, not sure if you heard me talking about Malcolm Johnson's shadow box that I have. But very similar mm. to that, where when I, and I must have been in Vegas at the time, I had a bunch of co-workers like, oh, yeah, model rail running, oh, yeah. And then I showed them Charles Kirk's work, and it completely changed, like, it silence for a start. <laughs> Five minutes of silence. I think his stuff is still available on YouTube. And people would just say, wow, you know, is that, that's not real, right? That's a model. And I'm like, yes, that whole right. thing is all model. Um, right. you know, done to an amazing level of detail. And I think it's been interesting. I mean, um, Matt Goodman was an early instigator with this as well. I think he had an iCar, the iPhone, you know, where you plopped your iPhone on the car and mm-hmm. did a series of layouts in his, in his Ohio area. I think he might have even gone out of state for some, but like these are operating layouts that have existed for at least 30 years that have had generations of hands building on them. And you could see immediately the areas that had gone the maximum kind of scenery detail. And then he'd go down a bend and he'd like, hmm, well, that's missing some detail. Hmm, that's missing some detail. Right, and it so, was never meant to be seen. Well, it could. It's like at the, the back where tall people looking over might have seen it. Or, you know, some structures in front block the direct view. So, right. you know, all these kind of little bits where model railroaders, particularly on, you know, big operating layouts, which historically been like, mm, you know, maybe next winter or something. That's but right. This, I think this changes the hobby fundamentally in terms of taking, and it's interesting because there's always been this kind of uneasy juxtaposition between an operating layout and a heavily scenic layout. And I had on particularly the operating folks are always like, oh, no, 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 we do scenery okay. It's, yeah, we put in a lot of, but just technically the nature of hands and movement and this kind of stuff means you're not going to be, working on the scenery quite the same length of detail. I mean, Marty McGurk is an interesting crossover. Um, but I think what this does is it forces 
folks that build operating layouts also now to have to devote some time to scenery as well. Well, you, you really do. And, and one of the things is if, if you label everything on the face of your layout for the convenience of your operators, if your operator is now remote, none of that fascia-based information is going to be visible to them. So you need to make sections of your layout visually distinct from Mm -hmm. one another. And the way to do that is with scenery. Yes. You know, there was, uh, I think in the last 24 hours I posted uh, in the the thread on 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 the camera car is that, you know, this is great, but this means I need some friggin' scenery on the layout. You know, in other words, this is this is an excellent thing in one way, but it is a double-edged sword because there's another can of worms that is now officially opened. Um, Because if you think, you know, Farmingdale, Ronkonkoma, and Long Island City all can't be gray plywood and unballasted track because they'll all look the same. (laughs) Yeah, I think what interests me particularly is your layout is divided, associated with kind of passenger service and operating service. And we had joked historically about the kind of Russian roulette passenger service (laughs) for possibilities. Having a just something that's putting video out to the web a passenger service that was just rotating, but also putting this video out to the web as a means of kind of snaring people in to this thing. Sure. I mean, you've got so many possibilities with regards to your layout in this light. But yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, I'm I'm really hopeful that, uh, you know, Silicon Valley Lines and, as you say, the other folk that are working on this particular problem space are able to, I mean... Commercially, it'd be very easy to create click here, click here, click here, order these things, and then they immediately turn up. My suspicion is probably that there may be some machinations to, for, for Silicon Valley lines to actually produce these things standalone as well, potentially. I don't know. I don't know. But the ability to, to just start seeding layouts with this, very similar to Open LCP, really, it's going to be mm. fascinating to see how this thing takes off. I can't wait. I, I don't want to be on the bleeding edge, but I'm happy to be pushing those guys be. in front of you me. Tend to be <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> You're the next wave. You're the one that mops <laughs> up the blood, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Shield required. So, in terms of the next few months, you've you've pretty well kind of outlined the stuff that you're looking towards. Any other little things that you're thinking about doing? I've been reworking my timetable schedule mm-hmm. because it was. In the last, last one of the last sessions that I had with a full full group of operators, I, it was found to be a little bit aggressive. And uh, one of the one of the places where that manifested itself was that um, a, a real human person needs about ten real minutes between trains to sort of mm. reorient themselves, maybe take a you know sip of water, mm-hmm. uh, walk to the next location on the layout, sure. and uh, the 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 you know you have a you have a, a schedule for the trains but you need to also consider the operators for those trains where they were where they need to be and whether there's enough time so i i thinned out the i thinned out the the schedule and uh if you want to call it the covid essential service plan mm. um that is exactly what the real commuter railroads are calling it these days so i guess i did the same thing by slashing service to uh, help uh minimize costs but uh the way i I approached the third timetable rev three was to start with rail fan opportunities Mm. that i felt were signature not 
Sign- not signature scenes, but signature occurrences on the layout, which is, as you say, the sort of express trains barreling through high-speed turnouts, and and seconds after the local train finishes its its pass through the interlocking. So I, I started from there because I still really want that to happen, but I need to be able to thin it out. So I, basically, I started with the the bare bones of what I felt demonstrated the layout and what I wanted to happen on the layout and operators to experience and then worked out from there with just more intervals between everything. And so that's something I've been working on leading up to resumption of operating sessions possibly next month. Mm-hmm. I've participated in a couple sessions where that have proven that you can operate a large model railroad with 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 and wear masks at the same time. Mm-hmm. History does not stop and prototype realism is not sacrificed. <laughs> um, so it's you know, and the the consensus among the operators in my round robin are that you know most of us are comfortable at this point in time in Suffolk County with you know getting together with a group of ten people as long as there's masks. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're at the stage in Suffolk County where you can sit at a restaurant table with with and eat a meal with people and masks aren't required, although you're spaced out from and you know this isn't a there's other places where this is the case as well. Mm, just not um, California. Not California. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it, so, but there's other things. You know, I, I like to put a bulletin out before every operating session, and I was typing it up last night. Unfortunately, there will, there can't, you can't really serve finger food at an operating session because you don't, you know, that's a, you can't eat. <laughs> you shouldn't be eating. So um, even though cookies were an absolute requirement of the Central Suffolk Operations Group, I think they're going to have to be temporarily uh, – cookie cookie servings may be temporarily suspended. Mm. You can't get sealed – I don't know how one would do it. Everyone bring their own cookies and self-sealed. I mean, yeah. yeah Individual bottles of water are fine, and, and those I always have those in a, in a fridge under the layout. But, right. Uh, I mean, it's the the real issue is that if you're gonna munch on cookies, then you've you know, it's, mask comes off. Yes. Right. And it's even though my basement is is reasonably sized, you know, the aisles are four or five feet, and it's 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 just not enough if you're munching on a cookie and somebody's passing by you or whatever. It's uh, you know, yeah. these are. I guess I guess the new gold standard for aisle widths is going to have to be over six feet. So everyone's yes. just going to have to get bigger basements. Yes, or less track. No, no, no. <laughs> we will Sorry. not compromise in the <laughs> amount of track. Bigger basements, no. it will have to be. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hardware problem. I just need yes. more space. Very good, very good. Well, Dave Barraza, I look forward to uh, sometime in the future, hopefully, when uh, we will be able to uh, be at a civilized distance with our masks on once again. Standing on the shoulders of others and following in their footsteps, hopefully it will happen uh, in maybe in the next quarter. We'll see. Oh, yeah, I'm not so hopeful. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I work for well, I work for and read um, a little bit too much in this area. And so, anyway, let no, us I was hope. talking about remote operations as opposed to live in person. Yeah, let's. Yes, well, remote. I'm looking forward to that. Let's there you go. Let's let's start with that step and then see where it goes. In person, we'll have to see. Dave Brezza, it's been a pleasure as always. All the best with uh, yeah with the coming months and uh, the forced peer pressure of updating scenery based on <laughs> internet trolls, right? 
You can have internet yeah. trolls critiquing your layout. That don't remind me about that. I'll have to shut the NMRA trolls are the worst. Uh, they came oh. after me. Oh my goodness. I yes, you know what? That was ridiculous. I attended your clinic and uh, uh if I ever give a clinic, I am not reading the chat. I'm oh. sorry. Well, I only saw the last five minutes of it. And the last five minutes indicated that the previous fifty odd minutes <laughs> have been incredibly colourful. So <laughs> yes. Yeah, you- you, you you don't want to know. It was. I mean, it's the it internet. It seems to be it's xenophobia. I mean, I I caught the end of the kind of xenophobia element, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh well, how exciting is this anyway? Yeah, and then there was a native-born Merkin that was talking just as quickly, and 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 if not quicker. No, I, look, everyone. I I paced myself and I watched the ones right. following, and my perspective on that critique is it's purely associated with, but. Moreover, I'm giving a free presentation for a group of people. Like, how nasty do you have to get through this process? Anyway, Dave Barassa, it has been a pleasure as always. Look forward to virtually operating on your layout sometime too. I promise not to be an internet troll uh, and complain about the uh, quality of the scenery or the lack of finger food. Um, pleasure chatting. Look forward I'll to- just switch to a different color paint when I get to the third deck. Then everyone will know where they are. Very good. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. Take- Color-code it absolutely extremely. Has still <laughs> color-code the buildings. Wonderful. Like a map. Most definitely. Dave, a pleasure as always. Thank you for calling in. Thanks, Tom. Well, this show has taken so long to edit, I'm actually throwing in some additional audio to let you folk know the Model Rail Radio Mind Mount Models Layout Design Contest 2021 is in full effect. This time we are going minimalist, so design a standard HO or narrow gauge HO layout of any size with five turnouts, and the layout must contain two Mind Mount Model structures. Now, Mind Mount Model structures vary in size very greatly, so go to mindmountmodels.com, find two sizes of structures. Really, you could probably put in any size, any two size structures, and we'd find a mind mount models kit that would fit but anyway so layouts must be submitted in jpeg or pdf i think we accept word documents as well historically anyway by midnight march 31st 2021 i.e just before april 1st to tom at model rail radio or one word.com that is tom at model rail radio or one word.com model rail radio.com the first prize is 200 dollars worth of mind mount models kits if it comes to 230 240 I mean, I'm the one buying the kits, so I probably would allow you to buy $230, $40 worth of kits if you need to. Also, first prize, a sound module from Creaky Chair Models. That's Uncle Larry, for folks familiar. Second prize is $100 worth of Mind Mount Models kits. Special mention, $50 worth of Mind Mount Models kits. Again, I'm going to be rounding those amounts up, so, you know, feel free to uh, propose maybe a little bit more. It shouldn't be a problem. Anyway, so that is the Mind Mount Models Model Rail Radio Layout Design Contest 2021, currently in effect, closing on March 31st, 2021. So please get your entries in. Folks will remember the various other, let's say, hmm, should we say lists? Uh, well, I wouldn't necessarily want to use the term dishonest, but there are a bunch of other folks that were running layout design contests, same time as the Mount Models Model Rail Radio Layout Design Contest 2020. 
And those folks that entered the other contests didn't do at all well. I normally would say something here about Robert Thomas winning the past few and how it'd be wonderful folks to resoundingly beat Robert Thomas, but the gentleman has done very well. So please do consider entering the requirements again, five turnouts, five turnouts or less, really. If you want to use less, we're not going to penalize you for that. So any size layout with that, yeah, you could do a comfortable shelf, do an interesting round the room, do whatever size layout you want, just with five turnouts or less. In addition to this show, 200 is going to be on January 2nd. That's January 2nd, California time, so probably January 3rd in Australia. Well, actually, if you start early enough in Australia, you might actually get, well, anyway. So January 2nd, 2021 is going to be show 200. It's going to be probably nine to 11 hours worth of audio recording with some couple of hour breaks in between various points for sanity. The way to get the information about when that is going to be is modelrailradio.com. It's on the front of the site. Please do look it up. There is also some special news which we are only giving to people that call into live shows. A few other people have been able to get the information up front. But yes, yeah, the world will change news has been given on recent Model Rail Radio recordings. And if you're interested in getting the skinny on that, you could either pester someone who called into one of those shows or alternatively, because no doubt they'll be steely-lipped, you should call into Model Rail Radio and get the news up front, ideally before show 200. So uh, back to the recording. Another wonderful Saturday morning show, another wonderful Saturday morning recording. I am taking, in the next, I don't know, six weeks, I'm taking a couple of weeks off just purely for human sanity. I am trying to, as I say, every recording, improve the editing pace, but the world, unfortunately, has other plans for me. Hence the discussion of canal boats, this recording. Anyway, it's been a pleasure catching up with everyone. Thanks to the folks participating today. Thanks also to the folks for listening in. Good morning. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Goodbye.